for joining me. I'm very uh, thankful to, to speak with BlackBerry. Would you mind giving yourself an introduction for listeners? My name is John. The BlackBerry is my solo project. I, as far as BlackBerry goes, I actually took um, a Mohawk name for it, uh, Skagasawa, which is the Witchhawk. So I know that's like a bit confusing. No one, no one knows what to call me, but you can call me anything. Um, I feel a little bit weird asking people to call me that when I'm like not doing Blackbird things. So, uh, it's a solo project. I started it probably, I started writing these songs maybe a little bit over a year ago. Um, just put out those first two songs in the last month or two and it's really taken form, um, album coming sooner rather than later, hopefully. Whereabouts are you kind of like based out of? So right now I'm in New York. Um, I've pretty much lived in New York, uh, my whole life. Uh, I'm, I'm like a country boy. I would say I was born and raised in the country. Uh, I live in the country now, so I'm upstate, uh, in the Adirondack mountains is what I, I always tell people that no one knows where it is. We're probably about four or five hours north of New York city and like only maybe two from Montreal. So it's, it's actually a little closer to Canada than like New York city, but it's still technically New York. But yeah, I grew up maybe, uh, I don't know, 30, 40 miles from here. And I love this area since I was a kid, you know, I've been coming here. Like I learned to fish and camp and hunt and everything up here in these mountains and kind of my whole adult life was always kind of a dream a goal of mine to live here. So me and my wife bought a house over here in 2019 and never looked back. And that's where I am now. I haven't been out there. I've been to New York. I think when my, my sister was in the military, but, um, that was when I was a kid, but you know, I haven't really made my way there, but, uh, yeah, it sounds, sounds awesome. I mean, I love the mountains and forests. What, um, what tribal community is uh, the the local area? So that's really interesting. It's uh, it's kind of like a mix here. We have a really unique history, uh, the Adirondacks, as opposed to the rest of the country, because it was just settled in like a very different way. And we there wasn't, you know, there were still skirmishes and stuff, but there wasn't like major wars like there were in a lot of the other places. And if you look at like uh, like European, like, you know, like white scholarly uh, findings or whatever. I think like the official, the official story is like, they weren't native Americans in the Adirondacks is what they say, because there's, there's pretty much like no, um, no permanent residence here. Uh, it's also what they say. I, I would beg to differ, um, but there's no like archeological evidence of it. So pretty much what this place, these mountains were believed to be, um, well, just to give you some background on the mountains, it's this huge mountain range. I think we have like, I, I don't even know. I, I think there's like 50,000 square miles or something in them with like 46 high peaks. And, you know, there it's a big mountain range. You wouldn't think something like that exists on the East Coast, but it does. Um, really harsh winters and harsh summers, too, and just like a brutal climate to live in. So traditionally, it was like uh, Haudenosaunee territory. Specifically, like there was a lot of uh, Mohawk and Algonquin in this area. And for like hundreds of years, it was used more just as like ancestral hunting ground. So people would come here for, you know, just like the summers, like they'd come here in the spring and, and leave at the end of the fall, pretty much. The winters were like too harsh for people to really want 
to like build communities here year round. So when you look at like the indigenous history of this area, there's a lot of like hunting camps and like little trapping camps and stuff like that. But like, you don't see, you know, like there's no playblows or um, even like longhouses, like, you know, longhouses were a big Haudenosaunee thing, but you don't see them really in the Adirondacks just because it, there's places, you know, 30 miles outside of the Adirondacks where they don't get hammered with so much snow and it's just so much easier to survive. So this area that I'm in is, has always been kind of wild and more of like a hunting ground where people come and go. And there is like little, little hunting camps and communities and stuff that have been up here, but it's still like very similar. And even like in the early 1900s, when uh, people started settling this area, like white colonists and stuff, there's a lot of Dutch around here and, um, and whatever. But um, anyway, there was even like not much conflict back then. It was so hard to survive here up until the turn of the century. And like, it was kind of like everyone for themselves and people didn't have time to fight over territory because everyone was so concerned with sur- just surviving the winters. So even when people started moving into here in like the early 1900s and stuff, like white settlers, like there was like skirmishes and stuff, like the battle of Lake George and stuff. But like, it was kind of, there was like this every man for himself atmosphere that still exists where like there was almost like a cold war where like the Indians wouldn't bother the sellers and the sellers wouldn't bother the Indians. And like they'd come together and trade and shit when times were hard because they couldn't really survive without each other's help at times. Um, it was kind of, you know, more so the settlers needed our help, but anyway, it's, uh, it's kind of a crazy place. Cause there's all, there's this super bloody history in most of the country. And like here it's still relatively unknown and it's kind of like the wild west. Like there's no documented history and it's really like word of mouth, like from both like old old settler families that have been here since the 1800s and then like old Iroquois families that have also been up here. So yeah, it's a really interesting place to live. Probably like 90% of the indigenous history of the Adirondacks is still undocumented. Wow. No, that's cool. Thanks for giving us that um, history of the area where you're at. That's, that's really cool. Like, um, I, I have to admit, I'm not too familiar with that part of the country. I mean, kind of being, yeah, I'm similar. I kind of born and raised in the Southwest and got a chance to go different places, but cool to hear like a uh, history of your area. The park is kind of situated like in between. Albany, New York, and uh, Montreal up in Quebec. As far as like the tribal history of the area, like a lot of the Mohawk and um, the Iroquois and stuff would come up from the south, like from the Albany area to hunt. And then a lot of the Algonquin would come down from the north, like out of Quebec to hunt. So they'd kind of converge in the middle. And then they, you know, they would have standoffs with each other too. And it wasn't always you know, it wasn't always peaceful. So it was kind of just like this hunting ground with, where it's like everyone for themselves is <laughs> how it was here pretty much up until maybe 50 years ago, you know, when they started making roads and cars and stuff. You mentioned you grew up there. Um, did you ever get a chance to like, uh, live other places outside of, uh, that, uh, upstate New York area? I did. So 
I grew up um, just maybe like half an hour outside of the Adirondacks mountains I live in now and like a little more lowlands um, south of here. So I grew up in like farm country, like there's just dairy farms everywhere in the town. I grew up dairy and corn. (laughs) It's like your stereotypical farm town. Um, But we would come up here, you know, in the winters and stuff and during the summers to camp and stuff. And uh, so I grew up a little south of here and then, yeah, I traveled a lot when I was younger. Um, uh, I moved out like immediately. I thought I didn't really want to be in the country um, just because like growing up in the nineties in the country is like, if anyone had did that, you know how boring it is. And like, everyone wants to get out. So as soon as I turned 17 and got out of high school, I left and I moved to Philly um, and I lived there for a year. And then I traveled around the country a bit. And after a few years, I was just, I came to the realization that I really don't like cities and I thought I was running from the country. And, but in reality, all I wanted to do was get back to it. So when I was maybe, I don't, no, uh, 29, I think we bought this house. I was 29 or 30. I'm 32 now. So me and my wife, we started looking for property up here. She grew up in Vermont, also in the country. And like, we met in a living in a city. So it was a similar situation where we were both like, just really sick of the asphalt and the grind. And we decided to get out of there. And, you know, I've been in the country again since two, two years or something now, two or three years. And I haven't looked back. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. I can kind of relate. I was living in Phoenix, Arizona for a while. And yeah, just the traffic for me, was just brutal taking like an hour just to get somewhere. And the heat for me was just too much, but um, I grew up up in Northern Arizona and the weather is much, much nicer with growing up in the, like in a country setting, like how did you, get started playing music let's see i guess like i've been playing guitar most of my life i've probably be a lot better than i am considering i've been playing it for like 20 years now or something but the guitar i'm a guitarist at heart you know i do all these all this instrumentation but it really always most of these songs always start with like a guitar bass for me my dad played a little bit of guitar when i was growing up and he had one, but he was never great. Just messing around with like chords and folk and stuff. And he let me mess around with that when, uh, I don't know. I probably was like eight or 10 years old the first time I started playing it. And then by the time I was like 12 or 13, I was good enough where he, he bought me like a little, like, you know, hundred dollar for those, like a little electric Johnson starter kits or whatever. And, uh, that was, that was pretty much it. Like <laughs> I just, I loved it from the second I picked it up, I guess. So nice. Yeah. Then, um, now you're playing in like black breed, but what was your progression towards like playing the style of music you play? So I've always loved metal. I mean, since I was in middle school, I guess it's like around the time I discovered it. I remember seeing like, uh, Opeth was like, what of the, I saw Opeth in like 2002 or three or something. I was like 13 or 14 and uh that was like one of the first like extreme uh kind of black bands i saw and i was like holy shit they really turned me on to that whole style of music they were playing with devil driver and uh like more hardcore stuff albany is like a really big hardcore area and that was the closest city to me 
So we would go to Albany for shows when I was young. And I actually went there to see Devil Driver and had no idea who Opeth was. And I was like blown away. They were so much better. <laughs> and that was like my introduction to black metal. That's cool. Um, <laughs> and uh, since, yeah, after that, I was hooked. Like I was listening to Gorgoroth and like anything I could find at that time. Um, it was a lot harder to find music back then. But um, as far as, yeah, like my progression, like from that, you know, those I must have been maybe 13 or 14 when I started getting into those bands. And as soon as I got into them, I was already playing guitar. So like, it was just natural for me to be like, holy shit, I got to learn how to play this on guitar. You know, this stuff is amazing. Um, so I really started dabbling in all forms of metal back then. Um, I grew up like there was a really big hardcore and metal core scene in like a pop punk band. There was a pretty big pop punk scene when I was a teen, like, I guess it wasn't a teen, I guess it was like early twenties, but when I was doing that stuff, like I was also like young and kind of dumb and partying and it was fun and we were making good music, but like, I didn't really care. I just wanted to play shows and have a good time. And those weren't, I wasn't writing much. Like I'd write solos and harmonies and stuff, but like, three quarters of the writing was done by the rest of the band. And I would just go in there and tread and leave. And like, I really love playing shows and kind of being part of the scene, but I was content not writing at that point. Um, so I think it wasn't till like my mid twenties when I really like started calming down and was kind of like less, uh, infatuated with the idea of touring and playing shows. And like sometime around that time, I started writing my own music and, I wrote a lot of shitty things for a lot of a while and kind of just threw them out. And then black braid really started when the pandemic hit. I, uh, 20, uh, 20 there, Mart that spring of 2020, when we were all locked up and no one could go anywhere. And, you know, there was a lot of crazy shit going on in the world then too. Um, especially in the U S there's a lot of protests and, um, all that George Floyd stuff was happening. And I honestly can't even remember what was going on in Indian country but there was a lot going on everywhere and I was so angry. And that's when I started writing those black braid songs. Um, barefoot ghost dance was my first black braid song. And I was like really angry when I wrote that and it came out so good. I was, I didn't think it was ever going to be a band. And I was like, well, this song's great. And I wrote river right after that. I actually decided to re release those two first because they were the two first songs. And, um, once they were both done and they were both like really solid, I was like, I guess I should make a band. Like I can't, I don't want to not release these. I'm actually like proud of yeah, these songs for once and I don't want to throw them away. So on those early demos, did you do all the instruments or did you have someone like step in for any sessions? You mean for Blackbraid? Like when it was, yeah, the, 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 the barefoot and the, Blackbraid the river. Yeah. The river of time flows, uh, those early, um, versions that you, uh, recorded. Yes. Yeah, so pretty much like the way I do that and record those songs, it's pretty much our, you know, my, my formula for everything. I don't stray too much is I'm pretty bad. I hate, I hate to admit it cause it's so easy these days and accessible, but I'm like really bad at demoing out my own stuff and, um, self-recording stuff. And like, 
I can do it, but my setup just kind of sucks and I don't want to put out in the time till I I'm a really busy dude <laughs> and I have a lot going on all the time. I don't really want to put it in the time to learn it. So I tend to really not demo anything. Like <laughs> I, I have a pretty got to just like get up and go style when it comes to that stuff. Like I just, I just write the lyrics, um, at home. I loop the guitars usually with like a pedal, you know? And I'll just write lyrics like that over the loop. And I write the drums completely in my head. And then like when I go in the studio, I just start tracking. And it's usually like one to two days from when I start tracking to like when the drums are done and then I start tracking the rest. So it's, um, I guess I never really, I didn't bring anyone else in or anything. I, I don't do my own drums. My buddy, his name is Neil Schneider he produced me and I recorded this whole album in his bedroom. Actually, he's a great dude, but he also is an amazing drummer. I was going to do the drums myself, but he's way better than me. And he offered to do them. So I kind of just gave him an idea of what I wanted and wrote them for me. And then we went back and forth to like perfect them. But so yeah, he did the drums, but other than that, nothing else. I didn't really even demo anything. I kind of just like went to him with this stuff when I felt it was ready. And it was like, let's knock out this song, you know? <laughs> did you have the intention of like writing a full album or was, did it kind of just, did it kind of just, uh, happen? Like, like you wrote one song after the other. Um, I never had the intention until those two songs were done. Like the two songs that are out right now, river and ghost dance, um, both kind of happened like very organically. Like I said, uh, ghost dance was written like at the beginning of the pandemic and I was dealing with a lot of, just a lot of baggage with the history of our country. And I'm sure I don't have to explain to you uh, <laughs> what that was about, but it's a very heavy song. So like it kind of just poured out of me. Like I didn't have to think about writing it too much. And then the same thing with river, like it really just started as a few riffs that I really liked. And then one day I was just like, I think I know the lyric, like the lyrics kind of just came to me. Like, it's like, Hey, I think I know what the song's about now. Like, <laughs> and I sat down in like half an hour, the lyrics were done and I'm like, all right, I guess this is a full song now. But yeah, those two were both kind of caught me by surprise and I hadn't really planned anything. But once I got those two done, I was like, this, I'm so proud of both these songs. Like I should just, uh, I should finish it. You know, like I can't release two songs and then, never do anything again so i guess i just start working towards an album like because <laughs> i want to share these but i got nothing else so that was kind of how it came about i guess and nice yeah as far as like the theme of the lyrics how much uh how does like your cultural background play into like the the lyrics uh that go into your songs i would say it, it is most of it really like uh, there's, there's not much I write about that wouldn't be like culturally relevant to me. I'd say a lot of it is like the, like maybe three quarters of it is nature. I'm, I have a really strong connection with nature and that was kind of, uh, what, one of the things that made me want to start black braid as like a full fledged project too, was something that I've been realizing, um, like just to give you a little more background on me, like I grew, I grew up in the country and I guess like without even 
it never occurred to me that I live like what you would call a traditional life, but I guess I do. It's kind of just always been like how life is to me, you know, like I don't think about it. Like I'm, I'm outside all the time and I, uh, I hike and like I trap, I do, um, a lot of traditional stuff. Like I do, uh, European mounts. I, I do taxidermy. I clean bones and hides and I, I tan. So I do all this stuff. Tan, I tan pelts. And, um, one day my wife was like, well, it was something she said with like just, um, a conglomeration of things also, but I started realizing that, uh, I guess like, it's not (laughs) a lot of people don't have that connection. A lot of people don't have the ability to grow up like really close to nature. And, you know, they can't like look at an oak tree, an oak tree or a maple and tell you the difference between them and just things like that. And when I realize that it's really kind of a special thing that we get to have living in such a close relationship with nature, it's like, I kind of want to work that into black braid because even like I had been doing stupid social media stuff and Instagram just, you know, for fun for years before, but like I'd noticed on there, like everyone always loves when I post shit about nature and like interesting facts and stuff. And I guess I have a lot of knowledge to share and I didn't really realize till recently how much people really want to see that um, much other people's lives are lacking in those things. So that's like a really big priority for me with black Raid is to kind of help people feel like they can connect with nature through my music in the ways that I do. If that makes sense. Yeah. 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 I mean, just uh, the hearing like the first two songs, especially the river of time flows, uh, track, you know, there's, um, sound of like water running water, like a stream lyrical, um, references to just, uh, appreciation for nature. Yeah. Yeah. That song actually, um, with that song too, actually, I don't know if you, you probably saw the lyric video with all the, the running, uh, melt water and stuff there, but that's not, but yeah, that was actually, I took all that video myself. It's taken right around the corner from my house. Um, and that's, uh, the Sacandaga river and Sacandaga is actually another, the title of another song on my album there. Um, there is very special to me, but yeah, I just thought it was fitting. Like, I don't, I don't think a lot of people realize that I wrote that song about that exact river. And then I was able to go take that footage myself. So the, the lyric video and everything about it's very personal to me. It's not like stock footage or anything like the, the river in that video is what that song is about. Yeah. I saw that video. It's very well done. Like, um, yeah, I think pretty much everything I've seen that's been put out under black braid has just been really just the high quality. I mean, you know, like the, as far as like the set, the sound production, the, the artwork, the videos. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of like really blown away by how everything looks, everything that's been put out so far. Thank you. That means, that means a lot. And I'm trying to test. <laughs> yeah. And the music too. I mean, I, honestly, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a musician myself. I'm, I kind of think of myself as just like an enthusiast or a connoisseur of this stuff. But I mean, when I, yeah, when I first heard it, I was just blown away. I just, you know, it reminded me of a lot of like bands from like, uh, Sweden, you know, like, like Gorgoroth, Dark Funeral, uh, Watain, like all that intent, all that aggression, but in a really, 
with a lot of melody. Like, I really, really dig it. Yeah. That's really awesome for you to say. Cause it's kind of what I'm going for. Like I just felt uh, with Blackbird, like there's so many unique black metal sounds out there now. And there's so many things I love and so many bands that do it great. Like I could list dozens of them right now from, you know, new American bands to like you ought to, and Wolves in the Throne Room, two classic bands like that, like Mayhem and Dark Throne and Burzum and stuff. So I guess like with it, I just, there, there's some bands that are doing it pretty good, but like I wanted to take it a step further and kind of focus on like, there's no, there's no bands really focused, focusing on American history in American, you know, the American wilderness and spiritualism which has always been something that fascinates me that also sound this way. Like it, it seems to be like one or the other, you know, like there's bands out there like wolves in the throne room and stuff that are very Cascadian black metal and they're great. But like those bands don't have the edge that like someone like Gorgoroth would or dark funeral. So like it was kind of in my mind and I'm still striving to do it. You know, it's not like, it, it's not like I'm done, <laughs> but I would like to kind of, mesh those seamlessly and be able to be like that brutal in that punishing, but still really have a really deep connection to nature in history. And it's just a fine line. I'm trying to walk, I guess it's a little bit of everything. And, um, yeah, you know, I got a chance to listen to the whole album and even the acoustic stuff in between like i honestly could just listen to like do nothing but acoustic like material that you put out it's it's really good it's really relaxing it's kind of like gives the listener a break from from kind of the intensity so uh, i really hope that yeah that you know there's more of that in the future i really enjoy that those acoustic pieces that you put together oh absolutely um i do plan on doing a lot more of that the next album um I'm already like a little bit of the ways into it. The second album, even though the first one's not out, I know everyone hearing this is like the first one's not out yet, but, um, it, it has been done. There's just comp, you know, vinyl pressing complications and whatnot. But uh, yeah, when it comes to the second one, like one of my big focuses is I guess like to, to paraphrase, like the first one is really like, uh, an introduction to black braid and everything that people like on the first one, I think they'll hear more of on the second one. I want it to be longer. I want there to be a lot more folk influence and a lot more acoustic. There's definitely going to be more traditional instruments. I, I did put a few in this one, but they're like pretty buried. Like what of the constant uh, comments I get on barefoot ghost dance on YouTube and stuff is like, Oh, like this is great, but I don't see what's native about it. Cause I'm not, you know, like blowing my Eagle bone whistle, but, uh, <laughs> But, um, there is actually like, I put like a jawbone rattle that I made myself in there in the skin drum, but they're like very quiet. You wouldn't know. And that was also kind of my intention with this first album. Like I kind of wanted to prove to myself that I could make this kind of metal and be very subtle about it. And like, I didn't really want to rely on all these tropes, like, you know, the flute and, um, all these other great native instruments that. I do definitely in plan on incorporating a lot more on the second album because I play them and I love them. But with the first one, it was kind of just like, I think I need to get this more traditional metal sound out of my system and also prove to myself that I, I can be successful without 
adding all this unique shit. Like I can just make a solid metal album. And, um, so far you've been putting everything out yourself. Um, I understand you're kind of getting attention from a lot of like, um, like heavy music labels. Um, how has that experience been? It's all been really surreal. Honestly, like I told you, um, earlier in the interview, uh, I grew up in like this metal core scene. I don't know if you guys have had a big metal core scene out there in like early two thousands. I'm talking about for the yeah. most part or mid two thousands, yeah. but, uh, you know, we were constantly playing, like I played with a lot of bands, like, uh, oh man, these are so cringy to even talk about on a black metal podcast, but stuff like, you know, like the devil wears Prada and miss may I, and, uh, every time I die was every time I die is also from New York. They're not far from us. So we were playing with them a lot, <laughs> but, um, anyway, I grew up, um, kind of in that scene and, uh, it was, it's just so surreal to me because when I was there, everyone wanted to get signed and, you know, like sell their left testicle to get on fucking rise records or something. And there was a thousand bands and every show was packed and like everyone was fighting for their life to get signed all the time. And I was in a few of these bands and I didn't really care because like I told you before, like I was kind of just having fun and being a young, stupid kid and like, I wasn't doing much of the writing. Like it was really more about the experience for me and just being young and careless than, um, making meaningful music, you know, but at the same time, like I was in a couple bands where like, I saw these guys around me, like bending over backwards to get signed by anyone. And we would try so fucking hard and pour so much money and time into these albums. And we still wouldn't get signed. And then like, now I'm here in black Raid and like, I swore to myself I was going to sell for a lease and not even entertain label offers. And like, now they're like, I got, I get more every week than I ever got in my entire life in any of those bands. It's, it's really surreal. And I also feel a little guilty because like, there's, there's so many small and mid-sized labels that have made me great offers and are really great people and love my music. And like, I can tell they genuinely want to support me, but I've had to turn them down because a small label wouldn't really help me at all. Like <laughs> I I'm so self-sufficient. Like I put all this stuff out already and like, I was already prepared to do a small release. So like, I don't really need a small label at that point. I would rather just do it myself, but it is kind of weird because I didn't want a big label, but now I've garnered so much attention that I'm kind of being forced to look at them for the distribution aspect, really. Um, I have a lot of fans outside of the U S which I didn't bank on happening like a shit ton. And I, I can't really, you know, I can't do a pre-order of a thousand records and ship 500 across the world. Like I, I, it's just gotten too big for me to handle as a self-release. I wish it had it. I mean, it's like a blessing and a curse at the same time, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking at bigger distributors now because I don't, I don't think I can handle that vinyl release by myself at, at this point. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. That's really cool though. I mean, like, yeah, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan and nerd of all this stuff. Um, well you mentioned devil wears Prada. Yeah. I, I was always a fan of the zombie EP house. Uh, I, I did that and every time I die, but, um, I just want to mention that, but, um, yeah. yeah, I'm just a big fan of all this. Yeah, stuff. I love that stuff. How close have you decided on like 
going with a, a label? Are you still kind of um, working that out? I pretty much made my decision, <laughs> um, but I haven't signed my life away yet, you know? So okay. <laughs> I guess I probably shouldn't talk, talk about it publicly until, um, until it's official, but oh, yeah, yeah. we can talk no about it after, after the recording if you want. Oh yeah. Oh, I don't yeah. care. We, I'll, I'll tell you what's going I'd love on. To hear that. That. Yeah. All I'm really worried about is distribution. Like I don't, I don't care about making money. If I cared about making money, I wouldn't let them have it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but at this point, there's so many people that want the album that I never thought would care or know about it. And I, I just want, I just want to be able to get these people, the album, you know, if, if you want a physical release and you're in Bangladesh or you're in China or, you know, you're in Denmark, like I want you to be able to get it. <laughs> I, and I can't do that on that level now without without finding a label so cool and then uh, i want to ask about the artwork um the digital release for the river of time flows it uh has a has a digital artwork i understand that's going to be the the cover of the album yeah 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 um i'm really happy with that artwork i love it a lot yeah. How did, the, um, what, how did that uh, come about as far as choosing the artists and going with the specific image? Well, that was done by this guy, Adrian Baxter, who's done like a good amount of up and coming bands um, in the past couple of years, especially in like the extreme metal scene. Like last year he did paradise lost, which ended up being really big for him. Um, and he's done some merch for like bell, Witch and Shamash. And uh, I actually found him, because there's this band, it's also a U.S. band. They're from the South somewhere. I want to say like the Carolinas, but I really don't know. Um, Cloak, they oh, do yeah, rock and yeah. roll, yeah, and they're that, really man. good. Like I love that band. <laughs> but he did the al he did the artwork for their first album, um, "To Venomous Depths," and that's how I found him. And like I've been following him ever since they put that album out, and I just love his style. So when I was looking at album art, like I actually had this completely different idea of what I wanted for the cover. Um, which like spoiler alert, uh, you can, you can, uh, you can publish this if you want. I think it's safe to say, but, um, so I had this completely different, um, idea for what I wanted for the album art. And now it's going to be a long sleeve, um, that's going to be released Friday through a friend of mine, Labyrinth Tower, who does a bunch of merch. Um, oh, yeah. And he's going to do Friday, Friday. You'll see a pre-order go up for it and stuff. But yeah, long story short, short um, I had this idea starting out where the album cover was actually all going to be based around River of Time. Um, and there's this feral wolf spirit uh, that I talk about in that song. That's kind of like a reoccurring um, thing I talk about a lot on the album. She's a major muse for me. And I write a lot of songs about her. Um, so anyway, my original idea was to have this scene with the wolf, the wolf spirit in like the river and, um, the, like the gal, like the stars flowing into the river, flowing into the land and kind of everything meshing together and being eternal. That's kind of in inter 
changeable. That's kind of what the song's about. I debated, I like went around with that design for close to a month, probably when I was looking for artists and like, I just couldn't find someone to do it that I thought was going to do it how I wanted it. I don't know. Like one day I just woke up and was like, I don't want that anymore. Like I want Adrian Baxter. It just like kind of came to me. And I was like, I'm going to completely change my idea for the album art. I'm going to throw that idea out and I'm going to make it a t-shirt or something. And I'm just going to hit up Adrian Baxter. And what I did with him um, was I pretty much just, I sent him all the lyrics and I sent him the lyrics in the album. And I sent him a list of like 20, 20 archetypes, like subjects that I write on in the album. And I was like, these are all like really important things to me. And they recur the subject recur in all the songs. And, you know, I don't really know what I want for an album art, but I want something in your style with all these elements worked into it. And then I kind of just let him do his thing and he killed it. So, and it seems to be like, in my mind anyway, it's exactly what I wanted. Like when I look at it, it's a perfect representation of the album to me. So I'm very happy. Yeah. That's going to look sick on a, like a vinyl jacket like cover that's gonna be really really badass we're gonna do um i do have plans to do like a really extensive merch line with uh all those designs that he gave me and i'm gonna do like a long sleeve and a hoodie and a few t-shirts and some other stuff and that's gonna be like closer to the album release but i'm really excited for all that merch because that art is amazing yeah how close are you with the timeline of the album being released Honestly, I, I hate to say it. I want to say nine or 10 months. So full disclosure, uh, I, I'm sure you're aware, but I don't know how many of your listeners are of like the shit show that is the vinyl market right now. Oh yeah. I'm a um, big, I'm a vinyl junkie. I got stuff I pre-ordered last year. Still waiting. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty much like worldwide, um, the vinyl market is backed up about 10 months. I want to say like ghost dance. My saw my first single there almost went viral when I put it on black metal promotion. Like it's up to like, it's only been on there two weeks and like it's in the hundred thousand views. Now it's like at 125 or something, which is surreal. But anyway, like up until I garnered all that attention, I was really uh, planning on doing the self-release and that's kind of like what was the breaking point when all these people started flowing in wanting the vinyl. But yeah, I'm, so I decided I could never really like, I can't really afford to do more than like a 300 unit release myself, which was my idea and seemed really great when I started this album. Um, but now a lot more than 300 people want the vinyl and I don't want to make people wait, especially with all those complications. Like if I do a run of 300 and it sells out in a week, like it's going to be a double another nine months for me to do the next run, you know, because I'm small and I don't have that much money and it's, I'm going to have to put in another run. So, and there's all, all these international people that want it. So at this point, I'd rather just, I'd lose, I don't care about losing money. I just want to get a label that can get it to everyone that wants it. Cause that's really all that matters in my mind. And that's all that should, you know, these people want to hear them music they want to buy it they should be able to if i don't get all the money for it i don't really give a shit <laughs> yeah i can't wait um yeah it'll honestly a year from now will be closer than you think i feel like the last like five years for me just flew by um 
but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to keep working on shit too. Like I'm kind of just like looking at it as, as like a blessing, like, um, you know, like with me signing with someone, um, a second album was always in the plans, but now it's kind of mandatory. Um, so it's kind of like, again, I say this all the time. It's like a blessing and a curse. Cause I haven't put in the vinyl order. Like I could have ordered a week ago and done a self-release, but I didn't cause I'm holding out to get this label release finalized, which I think will be a lot better for everyone. But yeah, in a way, like the vinyl being pushed so far out also helps me because I don't write fast by any means and I don't want any pressure on me to finish a second album. So like, it's kind of like a set, a nine month head start in my mind is how I'm looking at it. Like, Hey, this album is done, but I'm not going to be able to show it publicly for almost a year. So like, it's almost a year extra time I have to kind of solidify the second album before I really, you know, before it gets put to the grind and I have to think about it more and it kind of just frees up time for me. So I like taking my time <laughs> and I'm not too upset about it. Yeah. Heck yeah. I mean, there's always like, um, I mean, I don't know how you're um, planning to release music, but you know, there's, there's always like splits and EPs too that, you know, can kind of take the place in between those, um, the first and second album that, and you know, I, I do have like, merch and i want to do another video yeah i wanted to uh do another video and another single maybe close to the end of the summer maybe to like tie it over and then in the fall i'll drop that merch line and shortly after that the album will come out i think i want to make sure you know i don't want any stagnant periods i'm going to try to keep releasing stuff and give people stuff to listen to periodically depending on how long the album takes to come out maybe I'll add some more stuff or maybe I'll even share a single from the new album before the first one comes out. Who knows? It's all up in the air, but I don't want, I don't want people to feel like there's not, not more black raid coming just cause it's been a few weeks. Cause there's definitely a lot in the pipeline. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait. Those are pretty much like my, pretty much all the questions I, I sent to you, but um, do you have any like, you know, closing remarks or any like, uh, anyone you want to recognize or any music you should, you you want to recommend to listeners? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as far as recognition goes, I gotta, I gotta shout out my wife. I mean, she's, she, she's just as much Blackbird as I am. Like I, I write the music and she pretty much does everything else. She's helped me make the, make the videos and, you know, she runs my web store and my merch and, um, she made the lyric video she's designed my merch. She designed the logo. She's done so much shit for me and she's amazing. And, uh, she doesn't like to do design that much, but she does take on design. Uh, she does like video stuff here and there. So if anyone else is looking for lyric video, she might be up for it. Don't, don't, don't hesitate to hit me up if you liked the little river one. But anyway, uh, her, uh, obviously Neil Schneider, I have to shout him out. He's one of my best friends and he's amazing. And he recorded the entire album for me and did the drums um man i i wish i had something to plug him 
I think he just calls himself Neil Schneider Recordings. I, I should have really became more prepared. But uh, yeah, look him up. He's amazing. He does mixing and mastering too. If you you know if you can't travel to record with him, you can always send your crap to him for master. If you like the master he did for me, um, he can definitely do it for you. Uh, but other than that, oh, Adirondack Black Mass is another awesome dude that I wanted to give a shout out to because he's a he's a guy who runs a tiny tiny distribution company um, right near me, and I don't know him very well, but he has experience with a lot of distribution things and he's kind of like, let me pick his brain for free and has been a major help to me. Same with you guys and, you know, res metal podcast <laughs> and, uh, the metal cave zine. No one, no one has been as accepting as you guys. And you guys have like pretty much from day one been trying to help me get my shit out there. And it's been awesome. So oh, I guess yeah. that's, that's all I got to, thank as far as uh bands go i could uh i don't know really i'm i probably can't recommend much that people don't already know as as far as like native bands um i really love lately i've been listening to a lot of a fair knock i really love a fair knocks uh his his new album's cool like i say him i think he's a solo guy i don't know his new album's cool but i'm like a huge fan of uh the enchanted the green enchanted forest of the druid wizard or something that album is so good um pan american native front he's awesome um is a tahi uh has a new album coming out very soon very excited for that yeah i mean i wish i could (laughs) i wish i could write music like that guy but uh as far as native bands that's that's probably it uh i mean not it but that's what what what's been on my playlist in the last week anyway oh, that's cool those are some cool recommendations uh everyone should check out yeah i mean i'm, I'm a big fan of like Bandcamp. i'm always like i'm always uh perusing Bandcamp on my downtime but um stuff i've been listening to i don't know they're a, a season of miss band called night have you heard of night n-i-t-e oh i have i was listening to them yesterday it's it's like gold like heavy metal like traditional right yeah yeah Clean vocals and lot, stuff. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love stuff like that. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> I really love the clean metal. Those guys yeah. are great. Uh, who was I listening to today that, that kind of reminded me of that? Uh, Unto Others, you ever listen to them? Oh, yeah, I love like, them. Yeah, yeah I, I, I listen to everything. I love stuff like that. Um, you got to add some clean vocals now and then, you know? <laughs> yeah, there was one I, I, I heard... Um... I follow a lot of bands and, um, the band Iris, uh, they're like on nuclear blast. They were, um, they were pushing one, one band a lot. And I just had, to, I just had to check it out. Uh, it's called hangman's chair. Oh, um, I haven't heard of that. It's it's if you like unto others, you'll dig this. It's like if unto others was a doom metal band, this is kind of how like, I would kind of like how I would uh, describe them. Yeah. I really, I'm always looking for, like clean vocals is something that I really love and they're getting less and less common in extreme metal, but bands that can pull it off like that, like, you know, like night and unto others. And man, I love that stuff. I'll definitely check it out. Hangman's chair. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. I, I haven't, I've, I've been trying to get the, like the physical album, but I just, I haven't, I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but I plan on, plan on doing it. 
it's that good. Usually if it's, if yeah. I, if I reach, if I, um, search out for the physical, it's usually like, like that's usually like a sign that, yeah, this is really good. Cause normally I just stream stuff or I just get a digital download, but like, yeah, if I really do like get the physical copy, if I'm really, really like supporting it. Awesome. Yeah. I'll definitely check that out. I'm, I'm always looking for good heavy metal. So, cool. all right. Well, um, uh, that's, that's about it. Um, let's see, but yeah, thanks again. Thanks. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was an honor, man. Anytime I'll come back whenever you want. Awesome. <laughs> Maybe after the next, next album or something. Cool. Yeah. I would love that. That was my talk with John or Skagasawa Black Raid. Really thankful that he took the time to talk with me last week. Be sure to follow Black Raid on Instagram. Also, check out the Black Braid website at blackbraid.us for more announcements and merch. And there's a pre-order for the new long sleeve design at labyrinthtower.net. It's really cool to hear that the design on that shirt was meant for the album art. Also, just uh, be sure to stream Black Braid on all the popular streaming sites. There's two singles out, Barefoot Ghost Dance on Blood Soaked Soil and The River of Time Flows Through Me. I'm going to go ahead and play one of the tracks, uh, the, the latest one, The River Time Flows Through Me Now. And after that, it'll be the end of the podcast. So uh, thanks for listening and uh, talk to you next week. All right. Yeah. Go on in.